0: Well, today's topic for our sermon is by far the most important topic we will cover in this sermon series that we are in. For me, it's the most important prayer that I could pray for myself, for our staff, and really for all those of us who carry the name of Jesus as Lord. We're in a sermon series called What I'm Praying For, where I'm sharing some specific prayers that I'm praying as the lead pastor here, and then we are uniting ourselves as a church around these key prayers leading up to Easter Sunday. And as I said, this is what I believe to be the most important prayer that any of us could pray for ourselves and for those who believe in Jesus, because I believe it carries the most spiritual weight with it. So are you ready to hear the prayer today? If you're watching online, church online platform, and you're ready, just type in ready in the comment section. That would be awesome. If you're here in person and you're ready to hear the prayer, just give me a ready well, you sound ready, but before I give you the prayer, I do want to introduce myself to anybody who may not know who I am. My name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here. And regardless of how you're joining us here in person or online or on video, thanks so much uh, for choosing to engage with us today. I do want to take some time and remind all of us about our, our monthly worship and prayer event called First Tuesday. On the first Tuesday of each month, we meet right here in the auditorium from 630. to 7.30 p.m., so it's happening this coming Tuesday, and we meet together to seek God in worship and in prayer. You don't have to pray out loud to attend. In fact, you don't have to pray at all. You can just come and enjoy the presence of God, connect with God's people as well. And really, I believe prayer is one of the most important ways we can connect ourselves to the heart of God and to the vision that he's given us here as a church, we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships and make a lasting impact, the kind of impact that if we were gone, our community would miss us. And so I challenge you, I encourage you to make it a priority to be here this Tuesday night uh, as we seek God together on behalf of our church, his kingdom uh, around the world and for our community as well. All right, my coffee mug today, by the way says, it's from my daughter, Michaela. She gave me as a gift. Dad, you've always been like a father to me. (laughs) Thanks, Michaela, for the great coffee mug. She's in this service. (laughs) Well, if you ever want to know how you can pray for your pastor, how you can pray for the staff here at Element, I would say today's prayer is it. So here we go. The most important prayer I think all of us can pray if we believe in Jesus, is this, that we would live and lead our lives with purity and integrity. That we would live and lead our lives with purity and integrity. Now, sadly, this is not always the case in the Christian faith, is it? It's not always the case in in God's church. In fact, some of you here may struggle to believe in God Especially the God of Christianity based on a, a moral failure that some leader you know had, someone who you trusted spiritually in your life went on to have a, a major moral failure. And if that's you and that's why you don't believe, I understand how the way we can live as Christians can cause people to not believe in the God we say we believe in. And I just want you to know, if that's you, I love it that you are here today. And for all of us, please, please hear me. Please understand. I, when I say things like that, I don't mean to criticize or to condemn anyone who has gone through a major moral failure in life, because here's the reality, we are all, all of us, are one decision away from derailing our entire spiritual life. One decision away. We are free will human beings that can choose to to do something immoral in our life that could have grave consequences. And my heart breaks for people who find themselves in that situation. I pray they are restored fully to a relationship with God and to those around them. But it's just a reminder for me of how important it is for us to pursue this in our lives. I love what King David said. In Psalm 119, uh, this needs to be the kind of desire that we ourselves have in our pursuit of, of, of Jesus. Psalm 119, 112 says this, I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. not that a great kind of declaration to make? We even see this in one of our core values we have here at the church. Obedience is our success, is one of our values. That success is not determined by outcome, but by our obedience to God. That, that if we have a successful ministry, using air quotes, if we have a successful ministry here, but our spiritual lives are a wreck, is that really a success? The answer is No. So because of this, we here at the church for our staff, we have a very high level of accountability for all of us, me included. The standard that we hold our staff to is very high, and it should be. I I wish I would have had the same standards and the same accountability provided for me early on in my ministry 20-some years ago when I was learning what it means to be a leader in the Christian faith. And listen, this doesn't mean that just because we have high standards or high accountability that, that no one will ever have a moral failure. But man, the idea of purity and integrity in all of our lives who claim Jesus as Lord is of utmost importance to me. I pray for it every single day. But here's the thing, you can pray for purity all you want, but if you don't make it a priority, you'll never have it. You can pray for purity all you want, and we should pray for purity, obviously. But if you don't make it a priority in your life, you're never going to have it. Which is our big idea for today. It's on the screens. Purity takes more than prayer. It needs the priorities to match. Purity takes more than prayer. Again, we should pray for purity. I mean it when I say this is the most important thing that you can pray for me as your pastor. And I'm praying it for you, too, for those of you who believe in Jesus, that we would be pure, that we would live and lead our lives with integrity before God and before people. But purity takes more than prayer. It needs the priorities to match. So here's the big question we we need to answer today. What priorities are needed for purity? Purity. What priorities are needed for purity? This message has been very heavy for me. It's going to be a heavy message today, as you can probably already sense that. It's it's heavy, first of all, because I don't feel like I'm worthy to preach it. And second of all, it's heavy because I understand the weight of it. That this is of utmost importance in our lives. That we live lives of purity and integrity. So the main scripture we're going to look at is Titus 2, 1 through 15. Titus is in the New Testament portion of the Bible. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young man named Titus. Titus was basically the pastor for the Christian church on the island of Crete, Just a couple of decades after Jesus rose from the dead. Titus put his faith in Jesus under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Then Paul appointed Titus to lead uh, the ministry, lead the church on the island of of Crete. If you did not bring a Bible with you, we're going to cover a lot of scripture today. And so you'll want to follow along on the screens. It'll all be there. If you don't own a Bible, we always offer two free ways to get one. You can download Download a great Bible resource called YouVersion, or if you're here in person and want a hard copy of a Bible, ask for one out at guest services. Before you go, we'll get you one free of charge. We're going to start off with a very large section. So I'm going to read Titus 2, 1 through 10. So you're going to need to lock in with me because we're looking at a lot here in just a few uh, minutes. And and then along the way, I'll stop and make some comments to try to break it up a little bit and, and keep us engaged. So here we go. Titus 2, starting in verse 1, says this. As for you, Titus, pastor, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men, and I'll let you guys decide if you're in that group or not. All right? I'll just tell you, the older I get, the bigger the number gets for me when I say what is old. Can I get a witness from the old guys in the room today, right? So you decide if you're in this group or not. I'll let you be the the determining factor of that. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Oh, crap. Verse (laughs) 3. Similarly, teach the older women, and I'll just say, None of you ladies are in that category. You are all in the young women category. Can I get a witness for that one as well? I've learned my lesson the hard way with that one. So all of you guys are in the young women category. So teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women, now you can all listen, to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, there's that word, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. I'll leave that one for another day. (laughs) Then they, literally meaning everyone I just mentioned, which by the way, Everything that Paul is saying here, we are all responsible to live out, not just in their own unique categories. He's just making blanket statements here. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself, Titus, must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching." Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Slave must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they, again, meaning everyone that was mentioned, which includes all of us, then they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. Wow, like that's a lot to deal with, right? And notice, Paul never said anything about praying for purity. I think Paul would agree we should pray for purity, but that wasn't his primary focus in this text. Why? Because purity takes more than prayer. It needs the priorities to match. So what priorities are needed for purity? As we walk through three priorities that I see in this scripture, I hope you know that what I'm offering is not an exhaustive list, okay? Like we wouldn't have time to talk about every single thing there is to talk about when it comes to purity and integrity. But just looking at some principles in this passage, the first thing I see is this, and it's obvious to me. The first thing for our purity is this, number one, there is one standard we are to seek. There's one standard that we are to seek. That when it comes to our purity as people of God, when it comes to our holiness in living, how we should live our lives as Christians, the way we talk, the activities we involve ourselves in, what we open up our minds to through entertainment choices, the way we love our neighbors, the way we stand with and for marginalized, oppressed, mistreated people, the way we love our enemies. Like everything in the Christian life, there's only one standard we are to seek. And that standard is not what I say. It's not what any church says. It's not what you say to yourself. It's definitely not our feelings. Feelings can change by the moment. But so many of us live our lives based on chasing the feeling that we have as the standard in life. No, there's one standard that we should seek, and the standard is not what I say, it's what God says. Our standard is Scripture, the Word of God. Verse 5 in our main Scripture said that when we live in a way that honors God then we will not bring shame on the word of God. That's heavy. God's word, scripture, is the one standard we are to seek. And listen, purity will never become a priority for you until scripture becomes the standard that you seek. Woo, that was good preaching. Purity. Purity will never become a priority for you until scripture becomes the standard that you seek. Let's go back to that verse I shared earlier, Psalm 119, 112, and notice where, what, who David says is the decrees he's following. I am determined to keep whose decrees? Your decrees, to the very end. That as a Christian, which by the way, if you are here and you are not a Christian, This is not a standard I expect you to seek. We need to remember that, by the way, Christians in the room. Like, we need to hear this. That as Christians, we cannot hold up God's standards for people who don't believe in God. They will not live up to them. Right? Much more I want to say there that I don't have time to. But but as a Christian... There's only one standard for living in every area of life, and that standard is the Word of God, that God's will for us in life and God's way for us to live our lives is only expressed in God's Word. That's why it's so important for us to be in the Word of God every day. That you will never know God's will for you apart from being in God's word, because God's will is solely expressed in His word. Psalm 119, in the first part of the chapter, King David says this to God You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. So he, then he prays this beautiful prayer based on that charge. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. Isn't that a great prayer? Like, Lord, don't give up on me. Do my actions... Do the things I involve myself in consistently reflect God's decrees? I'm thankful that David did not say, oh, that my actions would perfectly reflect your decrees. He didn't say that we would do this without fault, that we'd never make a mistake, that there'd be no more room to grow. He said, oh, that my actions would consistently, on a regular basis, reflect your decrees. Decrease. Am I learning to know God's righteous regulations and then when I know them, am I thanking him by living as I should? And some of us are thinking, this sounds impossible. And not to discourage you, but it is. (laughs) If we do it on our own. That's why we need the second priority in purity. Purity takes more than prayer. It needs the priorities to match. So what Priorities are needed for purity. There's one standard we are to seek, the standard of scripture. Then, number two, there is one source for all of our strength. There's one source for all our strength. Titus 2, 11 now through 13. So Paul sets forth the standard. The standard is what God says we should live like. And now he says, verse 11, for... The grace of God's been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed by this grace to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. And you might say, that doesn't help, Pastor Jeff. That sounds a lot more like standards we should seek. (laughs) And yes, that's a part of it but hidden behind our English language is revealed the source of our strength to actually do it, to actually live up to the standard that Jesus has for us as his followers. Now, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which I normally do, and I love this translation, by the way. But in this instance, it doesn't do a great job of translating from the original Greek into English. The the New International Version, which many of you use and love that version. I grew up on the NIV. The NIV does a better job capturing what Paul was saying to Titus here. So look again at verse 11 and 12 from the New International Version. Paul says this, For... The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And God's grace does that. Not only does it offer salvation, but grace is the only way that God saves us. We are saved by grace alone from God through our faith in Christ alone. But here's the thing we don't talk about enough in the church. That it's also the grace of God that strengthens us to live out our salvation in a way that conforms to the standard we've been given. This is what he says in verse 12. That it, meaning the grace of God, teaches us, empowers us. To say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, I know not everyone lives that out in the Christian faith. But notice, Paul did not say that God's grace will help us live that way in heaven No, God's grace empowers us to live that way right now while we are on the earth in this present age. We see this all through the New Testament, by the way. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Paul says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is working in you, giving you the desire, which I'm glad I have the desire to please him, and the power to do what pleases him. You see, God's grace does more than just forgive us of our sins. It also fills us with the power to overcome our sins. That God not only gives us the desire to do what pleases him, but the power to actually do it. That's what Peter said in his second letter in the New Testament. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says this, By his divine power. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Everything to live a life of purity and integrity. So often, I think we view God's grace as just overlooking all of our sins. That that when I put my faith in Jesus, that God somehow puts on this, you know, cosmic set of virtual reality goggles. And now he can no longer see any of my sins. He only sees the righteousness of Jesus for the rest of my life, no matter how I live. But I don't think that's theologically correct. Yes, when I put my faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, the amazing part of salvation is this, that God credits All of the righteousness of Jesus to my spiritual account. That I am made right before God by the rightness and the righteousness of Jesus. But he doesn't now just overlook all the sins for the rest of my life. No, through the grace and the power and the righteousness of Jesus, he enables me and empowers me to overcome those sins in my life. Friends, if that's not a part of the message we are preaching, then we are not preaching the full message of Jesus. Because he said, By my divine power, I've given you everything you need for living a godly life. That through the grace of Jesus, not only do we have the desire, but we have the power to do what pleases him. Church, either that's possible for us, or the Bible lies and we got to throw the whole thing out. It's possible. We just need to receive it and then live in it. We actually see this in the last verses of our main scripture, this idea of the power of God. Purity takes more than prayer. It needs the priorities to match. So what priorities are needed for, for our purity? Well, there's one standard we are to seek, the standard of scripture alone. There's one source for all our strength, the grace and power and righteousness of Jesus in and through us. Number three, there's one sacrifice we surrender to. There's one sacrifice we surrender to. Titus 2, now verse 14. Paul's closing out his thoughts here. And he says this, he, meaning Jesus, gave his life. He sacrificed himself to free us Not just to forgive us, but to free us from every kind of sin. To cleanse us and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. And listen, please understand, good deeds don't save us. There is no work we can do to earn our salvation, but once we have been saved, that salvation should produce in us good works. That we don't work for our salvation, but make no mistake about it. Once we have been saved, we do work from that salvation, producing good works in us. So Jesus gave his life. He hung on a cross. He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from every kind of sin. Then verse 15, the last verse, you must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them, which is what I'm doing my best to do now. You have the authority to correct them when necessary. So don't let anyone disregard what you say, when I surrender my sin to that sacrifice of Jesus, not just surrender my life to it, to be forgiven, to receive salvation, but actually surrendering my individual temptations, my individual sins, when I surrender those to the sacrifice of Jesus, he enables and empowers me and you to live a life of purity. And I couldn't think of a more perfect example of this than with my best friend, Todd. Todd and his family attend Element and a while back, he shared something with me about how he keeps his heart focused on and surrendered to the sacrifice that Jesus made for him. This does not mean that he's never failed at this. He'd be the first to tell you that's not true. But this is a way, a practical way, that's helped him stay focused on the one sacrifice he needs to surrender to. We shared his story uh, back this summer in June, but I thought it was too good and too appropriate not to share again here. So I want you to go ahead and check out
1: Todd's story. Before we begin, I feel like I have a sense of responsibility to share something about disciplines. A discipline is only as good as the effort put forth towards it. If you're serious about it, you'll do it. And you won't do it until you see what the eternal consequence is. That's how I feel about this one discipline in my life. With that said, most of the time, I feel like I'm the only one that deals with temptation and sin. Obviously, I know that's not true but darkness loves to create comparison for the sake of isolation. Anyone that knows me knows that I lean into prayer with every ounce of who I am. And in prayer, I would ask for God to take these recurring temptations and sins away from me, these temptations and sins that I have to deal with constantly. Lord, just take them away, please. Then in a moment of quiet, It dawned on me, he's already dealt with the sin. As my mind reels in the obvious, I'm already on to the next question. Okay, what am I supposed to do with these temptations then? What am I supposed to do with these temptations that just pop up out of nowhere? So I imagined, what would my temptation look like if I could put it in my hand? What if it had a shape? What if I could feel its weight in my hand? So I mentally put my temptation in my hand and I stare at it. Initially, I wanna pursue it, but the message I've heard from every sermon and scripture is now telling me to give it to him. So I look at it sitting in my hand and then I look up to the cross. I can see Jesus hanging there. I visualize every gruesome part of it in my mind. I can clearly see every sin dripping off of his body. His beaten and torn body is hanging there for me. I look back at the temptation in my hands and I think, is it worth it? Is this temptation worth the most beautiful life that ever was, hanging there on a beam like a piece of meat? Suddenly my temptation doesn't seem so appealing. I feel sick to my stomach. So I go to lay it at the foot of the cross and there isn't a dry or a clean place to set it. Just a puddle of his bodily fluid everywhere. In my humility, I want to lay my temptation in a respectful manner, but that's not possible. I have no option but to lay my temptation on the aftermath of sin that's pooled at the foot of the cross. When the world consumes, when darkness closes in, When temptation swells in my mind, I give it a shape and a presence and I give it to Jesus. Grateful doesn't even come close to the posture I pursue. I know my sin is the reason Jesus was placed in the tomb. Because of that, I want my life to be worthy of the resurrection that came next.
0: I know it was my sin that put Jesus in the tomb. So I want to live a life worthy of the resurrection that came next. I texted Todd this week. He did not know I was sharing this today, so I'll ask for forgiveness instead of permission. But I texted him, I said, Todd, I know this is morbid, but if I die before you, I pray the one thing you would say about my life is that I was determined to keep God's decrees to the very end. And if you die before me, I'm gonna say that about you as well. That is my prayer, church. my prayer. Purity takes more than prayer. It needs the priorities to match. So what priorities are needed for purity? There's one standard to seek, the standard of scripture. There's one source of strength, the grace and power and righteousness of Jesus. And there's one sacrifice we surrender to, the sacrifice of of Jesus who gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. So here's the prayer. I'm asking us to pray. You can take a picture of it. You can copy and paste it out of version. It'll be on all the church social media and my social media uh, platforms tomorrow as well. I'm gonna make a reminder at 9.31 uh, each day in the morning to pray this prayer. If you wanna add this to the ones we already have, that would be awesome if you only wanna pray one. If you're only gonna pray one prayer, I, This is the one I think we should pray. Lord, you have charged us to keep your commands carefully. Oh, that our actions would consistently reflect your decrees. May we seek only your standard of scripture in our lives. May your grace be the only source of our strength. And may we daily surrender ourselves and our sins to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We ask, O Lord, for integrity and purity to define our lives as your children. Will you pray that with me? I trust that you will. You might ask, well, what do I do if I... Don't live up to the standard. What do I do when I sin? It's a good question. And the answer is simple. Be quick to confess. Be quick to confess your sins. First of all to God, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But I think there's power in confessing our sins to someone else too. Not everyone should know the sins in your life, but someone should. Someone should. Because when we bring our sins and temptations to light, they lose power. But sin has power in darkness and secrecy. So who is it in your life that you could confess to if you, and when you sin? There's power in that, there's power in that. I think you need to ask God to set you free from whatever sin it was that you committed. For some people within the sound of my voice, There is a sin in your life that you can't stop doing. You need to be set free. And that freedom only comes in the sacrifice of Jesus. It's the only place. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? you saying Have you been following the wrong standard? Perhaps a standard someone else set up? Or maybe the standard of happiness? Trying to make yourself happy instead of trying to be holy? And you need to be putting the scripture as standard in a priority. Have you been trying to live a life on your own strength? That does not work well. Do you need to lean into the source of strength, Jesus and his grace and his righteousness? Is there a specific sin, temptation that you need to, set to surrender to the sacrifice of Jesus? Whatever it is, I pray that you do your work with the Holy Spirit. Maybe though you've never put your faith in Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you've never started your Christian life. That's where it all begins. And you just need to cry out to God in your heart, Jesus, I believe. I believe you are God, came in the flesh, died in my place, rose again. So Jesus, I give my life to you. I put my faith in you. Please forgive me of all my sins. Everything I've done, Lord, I confess it to you. By your blood shed on the cross, would you save me? Forgive me of my sins. I repent, I turn from my old sinful way of living and through the source of your strength, would you empower me to live in a new way? I receive from you salvation. Lord, help me make standard, scripture the standard I seek. Help me lean into your grace for strength. And Lord, help me sacrifice, surrender to your sacrifice in every moment of every day. Thanks for loving me. I'll do my best to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here in person or joining us online and you put your faith in Jesus, we'd love to know about it. We wanna welcome you and celebrate with you. There's power in sharing it with somebody. So just text the number on the screen, text ELIFE to the number on the screen, nine four zero zero zero. Text Life to nine four We'll welcome you, celebrate with you and send you a free resource that we wrote that will help you understand that decision you just made to put your faith in Jesus. If you need prayer for something, stop by the purple tent in the back of the room or if you're watching online, click the prayer button and a prayer team member will pray for you. I love you guys so much. We'll pick back up next week with not quite as heavy of a subject as today's was. I hope this was challenging but also encouraging for you. I know it was for me. I love you guys. Have an amazing week. You are dismissed.